I'm going to give you the end of my sermon before we even start it. We have work to do. We have light to take out. We have peace to find. We have relationships to forge with people who don't look like us. Because we know that God always has and always will choose the side of the marginalized and oppressed long before God will choose to side with the persons in positions of unchecked power or privilege. So now, let's read together from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God has become my strength. And he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers... Kings shall see and stand up. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. The book of Isaiah is a relatively long one. And we usually read from it most often as we approach Christmas time. As it tells us the the foretellings of the coming of Christ. Prophets like Isaiah are complicated figures in the Old Testament. Because as much as they told us about how God was working, they also angered a lot of people around them. Usually because the people around them were not acting in the ways according to how God desired for a faithful community. Jewish scholar Abraham uh, Heschel described prophecy as the interpretation of current existence from a divine perspective. They were mediators of God's word through the eyes of faith. The best way that I would like you to think of an Old Testament prophet Or from the words Walter Brueggemann, who said that they have one ear to God and one ear to the people. So let's review. That's one ear to? One ear to? Great. 
Prophets did not volunteer to be prophets. They were chosen by God, and at times, they followed the call to prophecy rather reluctantly. It was a lonely and tough road. A popular prophet, you'll remember Jonah, who had to go to Nineveh, and he ran in the opposite direction. He was thrown overboard of a ship, eaten by a big fish or a whale, uh, spit up, and then finally went back to Nineveh to prophesy to those people. He was, at least at first, not willing, because prophets knew that this life of telling other people how God saw them was going to come with a social cost. But the book of Isaiah actually puts together a few prophetic writings under the title Isaiah. Probably around three. The passage we read from today is, we believe, from the second section of Isaiah. And the main distinction between the first section going into the second section is how the prophet speaks about the character of God. In the first 40-something chapters of Isaiah, the prophet talks about God in a sense of punishment and injustice. But in the next section, where our scriptures come from today, the prophet's voice speaks of God as being one of comfort and drawing the nations of Israel in as, as a loving parent, even going as far to use the language that depicts God as a caring mother figure, which is a whole nother sermon. But I want to highlight that again. Scholars tell us there were at least three authors to the book of Isaiah as a whole. And the way that we find the distinction between the authors is in their language of how they talk about God. Those differences were also probably because of the the time when the parts of the book were written and where the community was. But when we hear the prophets of the Old Testament speak about God being one of just punishment, and then a chapter later, we hear these prophets talking about God being one of comfort, then we as Christians get to experience the coming of Jesus, which is God personified as grace and love. It gets a little confusing. Something I've really struggled to wrap my head around, uh, even starting from youth group, was the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. Because it seems a lot of times like they're separate gods, but they're not, and that's a heresy called Marcionism. And then we go even a little bit deeper into how God acts in the books of the Old Testament. And then how God acts within the chapters of the books of the Old Testament. And it seems like the descriptors that human writers use for God can sway from a God of punishment and war to a God of comfort and grace. And it's confusing in Christian education how we narrate who God is to us and who God is to others. Even now, this morning, from one church to another one down the road, the ways in which we speak about God say a lot about what we stand for. When I was in seminary at Duke, 
Yes, go cards. <laughs> I served as an intern at Goodson Chapel for a couple of years. It was a smaller chapel that was within the Divinity School. And while I was there, I got to lead our chapel band, which was a collection of students. We led uh, contemporary music, kind of an acoustic style. We would lead on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays, we would have a gospel choir that would lead worship. And then on Thursdays, our organist would lead worship in more of a high church style. So we had three different kinds of styles through the week in our three worship services. And once a semester... We would all get together and do a music chapel. And usually when we met together, we would try to come up with a theme of what our different areas of music or different genres of music would wrap around. One particular semester, we decided to sing about or play about um, the idea of heaven and what that looked like to us. So the people in chapel band, our contemporary uh, group, looked a lot like me, thought a lot like me. And we decided that it would be good if we divided the service into two parts, the right now and the not yet, all in relation to heaven and how we would experience God. So when we began to plan the songs... The coordinator for the gospel choir, a black woman who I consider a friend, said something that was rather jolting to me as we discussed the right now and the not yet. She said, Molly, all of our songs are about the not yet. Our hope is in the not yet. We believe in the black church that this is as close to hell as we're going to get. When someone checks you for how narrowly you narrate God, even when you don't think you narrowly narrate God, it's a conversation that you don't easily forget. What never occurred to me as a white woman and a good student and a lifelong Christian was that maybe not everyone viewed God the same way that I do. I mean, of course, not everyone viewed God the same way I do, right? Of course. But maybe the way that I viewed God was what I wanted God to be, a reflection of the power I have or the power I wanted I wanted God to look like me and think like me and let my rights and wrongs be the same as God's rights and wrongs. But then I wondered why another woman, a black woman, would view the work of God differently than I did. And all of a sudden, God got bigger. One of my favorite theologians, and he got to be one of my professors, Reverend Dr. Willie Jennings, once said that we don't ever learn more about God. All God is, is already within us. But slowly, God is revealed to us. And I have to believe that God does not narrow God's self the further we get into Christian community. But God reveals more of who God is. And if all of God is fully present within all of us, when we realize more about God, we realize more about each other. In Isaiah 49, 
The Lord speaks to the prophet. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Kings shall see and stand up. Princes, they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. This servant prophet is given as a light, not just given a light, but given as a light to the world. And when those at the most powerful places see and experience this light, something happens. The kings will stand up, God says. Princes will lie prostrate, God says. Not because their earthly power is immediately taken or gone at the sight of the light to the nations, but because like all of us, when we encounter the light of God, our hearts change and it's not easy and it and it may not be sudden and it may not be welcome but those moments when that light that is the love of God convicts us and changes us we too become light takers into the world when we realize the power of God is bigger than us when we are challenged to see God how others see God When God is revealed to us, our hearts change. Prophets do not volunteer. Prophets are chosen. And we have work to do. We have relationships to form. We have a light to take out. Because this world has a bigger God to discover.